This is Stephen Adams. And this is Kevin Dr- oh, sorry. <laughs> Kevin Durant. <laughs> You're Kevin Durant, mate. <laughs> good to see you, mate. Different complexion. Okay, let's go <laughs> So, this is Stephen Adams. And this is Anna's Cantor. You're listening to the Down to Earth. Down to Dunk podcast. What? Down to, down to Dunk. Down to Dunk. I'll down say that. Dunk. Introduce yourself, mate. Here's Stephen Adams, and I'm Anna's Cantor. And you're listening to Down to Dunk podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Down to Dunk Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Schlecht, and with me, your number one Thunder Rider in the entire universe, Royce Young. How number you? one! Number one! <laughs> Royce, how's it going? It's going good, Andrew. How are you, man? Oh, I'm good. Uh, so the Thunder made a trade. We have, I've, I really haven't discussed it with you yet. What are, what are your just initial thoughts on the trade? And then we can talk rotations and stuff after that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't see any way to, to not look at it as a, as a really, really smart, uh, trade both in the, uh, in the interim and for the future. And, um, you know, I think that people, when they, when they look at trades like this, it's not like this, this elevates the thunder into some category that they previously weren't. It's incremental growth. It's, it's a, it's a slight nudge forward. Um, Tosh Gibson, I think improves them in the immediate Doug McDermott does as well, but I think, you know, obviously McDermott is more of a long-term pickup. Gibson most likely is not, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't some blockbuster deal that like elevates the thunder back into the contender conversation, but these are the type of moves that you have to make as you try to kind of, you know, crawl your way back up into the, uh, the contender group. And, you know, I I think that the one, the one big thought I kind of have about the deal is, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of thunder fans had kind of soured on, um, Cameron Payne and you know his future, but you know if you talk to not only people within the Thunder front office, but if you talk to, to scouts or other other people around the league, they're really high on Cameron Payne. And you know it, he was he was a guy that was you know taking 14th overall. There was conversation that he might move up even in the top five of that draft. He is a little undersized and he has some deficiencies that are going to hurt him. But I think what Thunder fans kind of have to prepare themselves for. This is something a lot of people around the league have told me is that this. In you know, in a year or two, this guy might be averaging you know eighteen points, eight assists, and if that happens, you can't look back on this deal and say that was a that was a trash deal by the Thunder because Cameron Payne couldn't be that guy in Oklahoma City. It was it was pretty clear that the lineups with him and Westbrook together weren't necessarily going to work, um, and you know for him just being a guy that was going to play ten to twelve minutes a night, uh, maybe sometimes kind of getting up towards twenty, playing as exclusively as Russell Westbrook's backup, he just could never he could never be the player he was going to be. So this was going to be about diminishing returns and his value over time really being reduced and you know if the thunder hold on to cameron Payne for a a lot longer period of time maybe they increase his trade value where you can include him in a blockbuster level deal but at the same time you might then have seen it diminish to the point where you get a second rounder for him like you did jeremy lamb and and cameron Payne is a lot better player than jeremy lamb but that you don't want his reputation to 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 dissolve to the point of where that happens so the thunder were kind of in a tight spot with Payne. i think that when they knew they when they drafted him they kind of knew all along if Russell Westbrook were to stay, we're going to have to trade this guy eventually. You know, he was kind of taking his insurance against Westbrook. They were kind of hedging their bets in a way. Um, but, you know, overall, the, the the trade is smart. I think it's good. I think it improves them now. Not a whole lot, but I think it makes them better now. And I think it sets them up to, to kind of start building a team out that's going to fit the needs uh, uh, of Russell Westbrook. 
What do you think about Cameron Payne? You said this that the the people with the Thunder really like him, and some scouts really like him. What are your What are your thoughts on him after watching him for a year and a half, or really not even that long because he didn't play that many games? But what are your thoughts on him? I think he's good. I really do. I think he can play, and you know, I I think that for him. I think one of the things for Payne is that maturity was something I always kind of heard that was a little bit of a problem for him is that he had a little bit of uh, of trouble, you know, translating from the guy at Murray State where he got to take any shot he wanted mm-hmm. uh, into walking into Oklahoma City and realizing that, like, look, I got to play a role now. I got to be a point guard. I got to facilitate an offense. And I'm not going to expect to walk in and score, you know, 20 points. And that, you know, I, even from early on in his first training camp and some of the practices, that's something I heard from people around the team that, like, this guy was taking just kind of like he was trying to do too much. He was he, he thought he was still that same offensive player. And he, and he might eventually be that guy. But it seemed to me like he didn't really quite know his, like, place in the league as he kind of came into it i think he's really good i think defensively he's going to struggle he's a little bit undersized um but i i think i think it will be i don't know if he's going to blossom into like some like really really good player i do think he's probably a starting point guard though i think i think that he's that level of a player um i don't know like on what level of a team but i do think he's that caliber of a player okay uh what do you what do you think about the rotations now i mean clearly the thunder don't really have a backup point guard i mean samaj i guess is kind of a a placeholder right now uh what do you think about the rotations especially when victor oladipo gets back there's a lot of talk about starting lineups changing maybe todd gibson coming in uh maybe alex sabrina staying where he's at what do you what do you expect to see whenever everyone's back i think that's a really interesting discussion right you know i think that you know, I think Taj Gibson is going to be the starting power forward here in the next week or two. I, I just think that, okay. that that's the reason that they made the deal for him. Uh, you know, obviously everybody uh, within the organization is extremely high on Sabonis. They see him as part of the future. But over the next two months, uh, you know, with, with Sabonis being a rookie, clearly having some struggles, I think he's going to move to the bench and reduce his role, and Gibson will get those starting minutes. It just makes too much sense. Gibson fits. It'll change the structure of the starting offense to some degree. It'll improve them on the defensive end. They won't, you know, Sabonis, while he has not shot the ball especially well, he is at least a floor spacer. Mm-hmm. He's going to he's gonna pop and, and be able to stand out by the three-point line. Gibson is going to clog the clog the, the middle of the floor a little bit more, but I, I just think that that's probably something they're going to do. The bigger, more interesting discussion is when Oladipo does come back, maybe that is, that's tomorrow against the, the Jazz, do you start Alex Sabrinas in that spot, especially now since you have a clear deficiency at your backup point guard spot. Uh, and, you know, you could kind of try to put Oladipo in that kind of quote unquote Harden role um, where you let him kind of completely facilitate and take over a second unit and, you know, not necessarily run point guard of the second unit, but but run the second unit. And I think it's an interesting discussion because. You know, what Oladipo does in the starting lineup is effectively what Alex Sabrinas does, right? I mean, he's mm-hmm. Oladipo is largely a catch-and-shoot guy off of Westbrook setups. Uh, he's a better he's a better slasher. He, he gets to the rim qu- clearly better, and he shoots and he scores a lot in the mid-range where Sabrinas doesn't necessarily do that, uh, and, and clearly a, a much better defender. I mean, we're talking about, you know, one of the better on-ball defenders in the league in Victor Oladipo. So I my, my gut instinct tells me Billy Donovan's going to keep it the same. But I do think it's an interesting discussion because, you know, when Sam Presti, this is something I kind of touched on last night after the game, when Sam Presti talks about maximizing the roster, that's something he likes to repeat a lot. Um, to maximize Alex Sabrinas, he needs to play 
almost as as many minutes as he possibly can with Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Um, because he's a player that's kind of at the mercy of Westbrook, right? Uh, you, you put a Brinus on the floor in those Samaj Christian lineups where, you know, essentially the only shot that, that a Brinus is getting is when Ennis Kanter gets a double and Kanter's able to get it kicked out. And then Abrinas gets a decent look from three, but like Abrinas in transition, Abrinas, you know, defenders collapsing in middle pick and roll. Like he's getting shots that he otherwise was not getting in that second unit. And he is like a fantastic shooter. I think we're all beginning to see how good of a shooter he really is. So, um, I guess to, to summarize my point, I think I think the starting lineup with Oladipo will probably stay the same for now, uh, but I do think it is something interesting to look at as you kind of watch this thing play out. But with McDermott now in this group, I think there's a lot of different lineups that get really, really interesting for the Thunder. I mean, think about a lineup like this, Andrew. You got Westbrook, Oladipo, McDermott. You go uh, Jeremy Grant and and. The type of spacing were the McDermott Abrinas lineups with lots of shooting on the floor. I mean, these are these are options that Thunder just didn't have before. And I, you know, that was something else somebody brought up to me. What about you know Doug McDermott's played? Um, you know, he he can he's obviously a small forward, so you could move Andre Robertson back to the two, and you could go Westbrook, Robertson, McDermott uh, at the three as a starter, and then uh, you know Gibson, Adams, or something like that. So there, there's a lot of different things I think the Thunder could do. I'd like to thank Chicken Express for sponsoring today's podcast. Right now, you can get their special, which is two four tender meals at the side and a drink for nine ninety nine. That is an incredible deal. They don't only have really good French fries, but they have great mashed potatoes and gravy. They have coleslaw, really good mac and cheese. They have corn on the cob. This isn't just any fast food restaurant. It's a great place uh, to go get some chicken. They also have some fish uh, that's really good that's fried. Uh, go check out Chicken Express and make sure that you wash it down with a sweet tea. I like Abrina starting still, and it also allows you to not have to play Samaj Christian at all, and then also you can keep your minutes, like, I don't think Abrina's going to play 35 minutes a game, but you can give him 25 minutes, and give right. the rest of those minutes to Vic, and you keep Jeremy Grant with the minutes that he has, and McDermott with getting minutes, and that's, I think that's kind of the problem with bringing in, like, an outside point guard, like a lot of people are talking about Brandon Jennings this morning, or a Mario Chalmers, yeah. or somebody like that, and I think that they will move the needle some just because Samaj has just been that bad as an offensive point guard. But also, I just think that they need to find time for all these other guys. Like, I think they want to develop McDermott. Same with Abrina. Same with Jeremy Grant. Like, I don't know why they just don't give those minutes to Oladipo as the backup. And like you said, I mean, Westbrook is helping Abrinas way more than he's helping Victor Oladipo. And it's like he's not yeah. helping Oladipo, but Oladipo can get his own shot. Uh, and they're not expecting Abrinas to do that at all. Exactly. And, and, you know, Oladipo, he's the type of guy I think that is going to be completely fine with this. Um, that, that's my, what my instinct tells me that, that he, I know Vic a little bit and he seems to be the type of guy that says, okay, that's what you want me to do. I'll do it. I mean, that, I think people, you know, this is something Billy Donovan, no, I think it might've been Presty actually mentioned this, uh, not too long ago that like, this isn't high school where you, you know, put your five best players out on the floor as your starting lineup and play them the whole game as much as the game as possible. This is about, you know, a team functioning within itself and you have to come up with a way. I mean, these are all NBA players that have very specific skill sets and abilities. And so you have to figure out a way to make it all fit together. And I, and I lean towards I, my personal opinion is I lean towards starting a as well. Um, just because 
you know, you look at the, what the second unit needs, and and by no means like if you start Abrinas and and bring Oladipo off the bench, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you know you flip their minutes, like you said, Andrew. I, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden Oladipo is getting twenty one minutes and Abrinas is getting thirty four. It just means that you invert who plays with who for the most part, and you know Victor Oladipo is still going to play thirty plus minutes. I mean because he's he's too good not to play that. But if you can get Abrinas eight minutes with Westbrook to start the first quarter and eight minutes to start the third quarter, and then sprinkle in a little bit more like and he's you know and you take the the 16 to 20 minutes that he's typically going to play and you you spread them out with largely with Westbrook you get the most out of the guy so I I think that in a lot of ways that makes sense yeah for sure I agree with that so with Sabonis what do you think about him moving to the bench and basically I mean I think that like the eight minutes he got last night is probably pretty reasonable if you're playing like Mm -hmm. a competent NBA team if you're like Utah like I I think that he'll probably play eight minutes again against Utah how do you think that he is gonna handle all this I I know uh, Domas a little bit and he is like you know he's obviously the son of an NBA player and he's like already as a rookie and I don't want to call him a pro's pro but like I, I don't think he's like a mentally fragile guy that's going to be bothered by this stuff. I think he's very practical. I think he understands the situation. He's in a unique situation because he's a rookie on a playoff level team, like a lottery pick on a playoff level team, which, you know, and he's started for most of the year or all of the year. And, uh, I, I, I assume that he's going to approach it in a, in a very smart way because he's got to understand that he is part of the Thunder's long-term future. He is a very valuable piece to them, and they are very excited about the skill set that he has. He's just a rookie, and he's in a situation where, you know, go back and like look at Taj Gibson as a rookie. You know, I mean, like and compare the two guys just physically and mentally, and what they what they were able to do. Uh, Sabonis is going to get a lot better. It's just he's not there quite yet, and as they transition into the postseason run. I think that it's just it's wise to kind of make that adjustment, and you know I I think that the the way that Billy started the second half last night, you know he played Domas I think like three minutes to start the third quarter, and then he quickly went to Taj Gibson. Um, part of that was because he wanted Gibson on Anthony Davis because Gibson did a nice job, but I think it was also to give a little bit of an extended look at what Gibson would look like with the starters because uh, I think that that change is probably coming, and I, I but like I said I think Sabonis will handle it well. Uh, he's going to probably move into, you know, probably playing six to 10 minutes off the bench, you know, kind of get Joffrey Laverne's minutes. And there's just, there's a lot of guys at that position right now. And with most likely Taj Gibson not coming back this summer, then, then Sabonis, you know, with a, with an off season and another training camp and kind of getting past his rookie year, then he'll probably slide back into that starting spot and be a better player for it. Yeah. You mentioned it, the off season. I think that the Thunder have some, they have some, really some interesting decisions to make uh, with Taj and with Robertson and even with Ennis Cantor if they're going to move forward with him as a part of their core. Uh, right. You said that you expect you don't expect Taj to be back. What are your other expectations for this roster? Yeah, I don't. I don't think Taj will be back just because you know everybody basically. Uh, the assumption is, is he wants to get paid money. He's 30, 31 years old, I think about to be 32. Yep. Um, and, you know, this is his big, you know, another chance at a, at a sizable contract, and he's probably going to go after it. And, you know, you can't blame the guy for it. And if, for the Thunder, I think that they would love to have Gibson back because I think he fits a lot of the Thunder identity. I think he's the type of player that they absolutely would love to have. Uh, but for them, it's like, you know, do you want to commit $10 million uh, a year to a player that at a position that you've kind of got stacked up? So, um, you know, Robertson is obviously the interesting, interesting guy to kind of look at there. 
how much is his market value? You know, it was, uh, I think it was reported and I heard the same thing that Thunder really tried to gauge and get it over the last month or so. I've tried to get a kind of a handle on what Robertson is going to command in the, in the restricted free agent market, because, you know, as people around the league, you, you watch Robertson play. And if, you know, if, if you got two eyes and you actually are paying attention to the defensive end of the floor, I mean, we're talking about maybe one of the three best wing defenders in the, in the game. Um, obviously he's not a high level offensive player. And so you have to kind of try to figure out he has to play in a specific team and if it's, you know, with specific players to kind of get the most out of him. Uh, so what, what, what is that guy worth? Now you look at the way that Dre has played post all-star break. <laughs> it seems to me like he's figuring out the type of player he needs to be. Mm-hmm. And that's something the thunder coaching staff has really been on him about is don't just stand out there and crank six or seven threes a game, even though you're wide open, move into space, move in, move your body, cut to the basket, get on the offensive glass and let the, you know, let the three point shot be your third or fourth option because there's too much athletic ability to not do it. And I think that when you see Robertson shooting, maybe one or two threes a game, he, that that's a telltale sign that he's playing playing smart on the offensive end because you know people can look at like kind of the ugliness maybe of his offensive game when you look at uh, at the you know the box score and it's like robertson nine points like those are nine points like whether or not he hit three threes to get him or he got some putbacks and some layups off of cuts or in transition those are nine points so um I think that he's probably, I don't know that, I, I think the Thunder want to keep him. I guess that's the, the, the big point. I think the Thunder want to keep Andre Robertson just because he's one of the very best in the world at what he does, and that's play defense. You don't think he's going to be a 90% three-point shooter now? <laughs> I don't know. What are his splits right now? They're like, he's 12 of 13, 4 of 4 from 3, and 0% from the uh, free throw line. Yeah. post <laughs> so. I don't know. I think that's pretty sustainable, don't you? Well, I, I, he's an offensive juggernaut now. All he needed were, were the hugs and not to be traded, and now he's he's set free. Well, look at this. Look at it this way, too. This is something somebody told me recently uh, within the team. Like, all the numbers bear out that, like, the Thunder are, you know, at, they play their best offense in transition. What's the number one? What's step one in getting out in transition? Getting a stop, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you know, if you're taking the ball out of the basket, you got to play in the half court. So you either need to force a turnover or get a defensive rebound and be able to get out and run at that point. Andre Robertson contributes greatly to those things. So, uh, you know, I think right now Presti is trying to figure out, okay, we've got a Westbrook led team here. We're not anywhere close to adding a second star to kind of re, you know, rebuild in the way that we did, like it was the Durant Westbrook combo. So they're going to have to build it out with complementary players around Westbrook that they can quote unquote maximize. So, I think that Robertson, I, I was skeptical that he could fit, but I think with the moves that they made adding McDermott, I think Robertson now is uh, is more of a fit than he used to be. Yeah, I think that makes sense because you can bring McDermott in if, I mean, if Robertson isn't even effective because there's games where you're just like, oh, he's really not even necessary because he's like out there guarding Vince Carter or somebody like that. And you're like, right. oh, okay, like he's, his value is clearly completely diminished by this game uh you bring mcdermott in and he can score not just from the three-point line but in multiple ways and you kind of saw that a little bit last night how they tried to get him some post looks and stuff like that Uh, Mm -hmm. so it should be i'm interested to see what mcdermott can do he hasn't been very good so far but um the one thing he's doing though and i was watching the game defenders aren't leaving him and that that alone that matters doing different things you know i mean Mm -hmm. seriously like 
to me, like last night, it looked like the Thunder were really trying to run some stuff from McDermott and get him going. But like he had a defender on his hip running off screens. And that's one thing McDermott does really well. He's not like JJ Redick level or anything, but like he moves and he runs the floor without the ball. And like that creates, you know, defenders kind of pulling and pushing and communicating with each other and a little bit of gravity here and there. And, you know, that sort of thing alone, you got McDermott with a defender that's afraid to leave him. And now that your middle pick and roll with Steven Adams is a lot more open than it was. And just, you know, so like maybe McDermott didn't score 12 points last night, but just the fact that he was on the floor and, and defenses were aware of him, that's a big change from, you know, a Kyle Singler or, uh, you know, even Robertson or whoever it might have been getting those minutes before. Yeah, and his size is such a big deal for the Thunder, too, because they had got, like, Anthony Morrow, like, he's not really a three. Uh, Brinus can't play the three. You don't want Kyle to play the three. Uh, you don't want him to play at all. Play yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's. I think that's a big deal. Uh, let's close on uh, Russell Westbrook. So we had a question from at Austin S1027, and he asked, what are Westbrook's chances of winning the MVP if the Thunder finish in seventh? Uh, I think part of that's going to be dependent on how many wins they get at seven. So here's, here's kind of where I keep coming back to. So, all right, the Rockets, I think are 42 and 18. The Thunder are 34 and 25. Mm -hmm. The Rockets, I don't know what that, I don't know what that is. What are they on pace for then? What would that be? How many wins? 58 maybe between 55 and 60. Yeah. Okay. So let's say the Rockets win 56 games. Okay. Let's say the Thunder win 48. So that's a difference of eight wins are eight wins enough for the Rockets. Now, like you can you can obsess over seeding and where those teams fell in that in that area. Mm-hmm. But let's say the Rockets win eight more games. Is that enough to give James Harden the MVP if Russell Westbrook A averages a triple double, which is, you know, a historical thing. Yeah. Uh, and then B has the clear narrative advantage of being able to sustain a team that lost Kevin Durant. Yeah. And in my mind, like I see it as 60 is the benchmark for Harden to win MVP. He needs to win 60 games because that that would signify, okay, the Rockets were special this year. The Rockets are good. There's no doubt about it. But they've also had four years, four and a half years, to build out a roster that has that has fit into what Harden's needs are. Yep. And the Thunder in year one post-Durant, they're, they're kind of flying by the seat of their pants here. And a lot of that has just been Westbrook being spectacular and just yeah. doing everything. Uh, so... You know, obviously, you know, I'm around Russ all the time, and, but I, I just don't see when you look at two teams and you know, there are plenty of nights where Harden does not play very well and the Rockets still win by 15 or 16 points. Mm-hmm. If Russell Westbrook doesn't play very well, it's hard for the Thunder to win, yeah. especially if they're playing a mediocre team. So it, it comes down to me. What do you think that V and MVP stands for? And if it's valuable, then there is zero. There's not another player that you could give this award to. Now, if it's in terms of like winning or like, you know, whatever you want to kind of qualify that to be, then you've got a little bit more of a discussion to make. But seventh seed, sixth seed, if, if the Thunder win 47, 48 games and make the playoffs, which they will. To me, this is Russell Westbrook's award. Yeah. I think there's a chance the Thunder can get 50. And if the Thunder get 50, I think it's a bigger accomplishment than the Rockets getting 60. Absolutely. Uh, it's, if, it, if they get 50, Andrew, it is a slam dunk. And I'm not even saying it should be a unanimous vote at that point, but it should be pretty darn close. Yeah. I mean, seriously, to win 50 games post-Kevin Durant in the Western Conference, at, at average a triple-double, to me, that is just an astounding accomplishment. And... Um, yeah, I, I was looking at the schedule this morning. They need to go 16 and seven, I think, right? I think it's 16 and seven to win 50 mm-hmm. games. 
And there's probably five games in there that you could check off as for sure losses. They play the Spurs a couple times, play the Warriors, play at Toronto, at Houston. So, but like they've got a shot at, at 16 and seven. They've got a lot of home games. If they can take care of business against teams they should beat, they could they could definitely win 50. I think they'll probably they'll probably finish somewhere around 47, 48. Uh, but if it's 50, it, I mean, even though it's like an arbitrary round number, but to me that just like would, that would speak to the fact of how remarkable this season has been. Yeah. And you don't know, like, what are the Spurs? Are the Spurs going to sit guys maybe for one of those games? And I mean, you just, you just don't know. And I I just think that the Thunder now have two more competent NBA players on their team, which is very helpful. I mean, I know you said Cameron Payne, a lot of people respect him, but he has not been even really even a third point. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. And, I don't mean I don't mean to sit here and act like Cameron Payne is some great player. He's, he was never not he was not a great player and was not going to be even a good player. I think mm-hmm. for the Thunder, I yeah. think it just wasn't like he he was just limited. That's just what happened. I mean, it's the same type of deal with like Serge Ibaka when he was playing behind Jeff Green. It's like Serge Ibaka had a lot of ability and a lot of talent, but unless he got into a role where he could showcase that, but that, it just wasn't going to happen. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, so sometimes to to like you know you to to get the best out of your roster you got to you know subtract pieces and um anyway i you know a lot of people have you know when you talk about how much better is the thunder after this trade like a lot of people have said you know maybe one or two wins better but like one or two wins would be the difference between 48 wins and 50 and so i think i think it is possible uh last thing what do you think the thunder do with their empty roster spot (sighs) good question um because just name a player that gets released and immediately fans are like, get that guy. <laughs> um, first of all, Brandon Jennings is not a good player. Okay. <laughs> like, he's not coming to OKC either. He's not good. He doesn't help. I don't see any, any reasonable way that Brandon Jennings helps the thunder. I really don't. Um, you know, he, he can score a little bit. He can do a few things, you know, he can do some offense, but I mean, he's an awful defender. And, uh, I, I just, I would, I wouldn't, endorse that type of move you know i think norris cole is a guy that they're looking at um i don't really think they're looking at chalmers i i think that they do have their eyes on that point guard spot just because that that level of the market is a little bit saturated right now and there's some options and i think that that's part of this evaluation process right now it's like okay you got samaj christian and samaj christian we can all see it is not not all that good but they do have like this identity and they actually played really well as a unit running the offense through Cantor and Cantor's back and they might be able to say, okay, Christian is a, is a pretty, you know, above average defensive point guard. Maybe we can get away with him playing these minutes and like save the money. They're looking for somebody that they feel like is worthwhile to give the spot to. If they can't find that guy and they just don't, they don't think it's going to happen. I feel very confident that they're going to sign Kendrick Perkins. That's just what I think is going to happen. Yeah. And everyone, I mean, they did will it with Nazi Muhammad last year, and like, <laughs> yeah. there's no reason just to have a spot open. Mm-hmm. And you know, Perk is is very well liked, and you know, I know Russell Westbrook would highly endorse that move. So, uh, you know, I to me, like, they they want to give it to somebody they feel like can help them. But if that guy doesn't come up, then give it to Perk. Point Perk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let Perk come in and run some backup point guard. Yeah. Uh, Royce, thanks for coming on the podcast today. We can read your stuff at ESPN.com. And on Daily Thunder, thanks for coming on. Batman.